and it's only recently this year really I've started to when I've seen someone on Twitter you know Twitter is a is a great place is I just DM them and go hey do you fancy having a chat and it's changed my perspective on everything I've just I've got to meet so many cool people just by just speak to real people in real time rather than hide behind the internet as it were Hello and welcome to episode 15 of Webflow, the podcast dedicated to uncovering the greatest failures behind the greatest Webflowers, because success often comes after learning from many failures. I'm your host, Jack Redley, a failure connoisseur, and today my guest is Matt Evans, Webflow developer and UI designer for 8020, a global no-code agency. Before this, Matt ran a subscription-based coffee company and then blagged his way into a project manager role in advertising. The three failures Matt talks about in this episode are failing to appreciate that done is almost always better than perfect, failing to appoint admin experts, and failing to make time to speak with other professionals in the Webflow world. So, embrace and learn from failure in episode 15 of Webflow with Matt Evans. It's an honor to have you here, Matt. No, it's nice to be here, Jack. I've listened to all of your episodes so far, so... uh... See, I don't even think my mum's done that. Thank you very much for listening to all of them. Let's get into this thing. So your Twitter bio, Matt, says you're a former product manager plus coffee co-owner. But now you work for 8020, so help us connect the dots. How did you get to where you are today? Yeah, so I, I started I started in London as a... I always wanted to get into to kind of advertising and business. Although I went to uni and did a sports science degree because... I think that was the only thing I was qualified to do at the time. So I I did that. And after that, I just went into London and started in media, in a media agency, which essentially is, if anyone doesn't know, and I didn't know at the time, to be honest, either, is buying the space that ads go into, essentially. And my first role was luckily in the digital department. So I wasn't doing TV ads or press ads. I was just doing online ads. And I did probably, yeah, probably did five or six years doing that, like just cut my teeth on the London lifestyle, you know, beers after work, the commuting and flat sharing and all that sort of stuff. Um, And during that time, I met a good friend, or two friends, actually, Ollie and Kate, who I ended up living with. And we were always like chewing the fat on how do we get out of this industry and how do we do something that's a little bit more exciting and a bit more adventurous? And that led us to starting a coffee company essentially like the short story is basically we got frustrated with not being able to get fresh coffee through our letterbox we always used to order online and then like you get there on a wednesday you run out of coffee and you realize that the postman couldn't fit the coffee through your letterbox so we ended up working out how to get coffee through your letterbox in a jiffy bag and then thought well other people might have the same problem so we thought right why not launch something like that so we launched something and yeah we we did all right I spent about well probably two years full-time doing it and about four years in total running a coffee subscription across the UK so so yeah like that that was a it was it was really exciting it taught me a lot about products marketing customer service but the main bit that I really liked was the tech bit so building the experience, um, building the way I'd always been into sort of trying to build websites, but never officially. So yeah, that led me on to going, I sold the coffee company actually back to the roasters after about three or four years. And that I was like, right, I need to grow up a little bit, get a proper job or a proper career. Because <laughs> the coffee was great, but it wasn't paying it. It wasn't paying enough to like look after my London rent, essentially. Then I thought, right, well, I, I really like tech, but I'm not a developer. 
I really like design and sort of the UX side of things, but I'm not really a, a massively strong artistic designer. And I really like the business side of things. So I like going, right, yeah, what's the PL on this business? But also what are, you know, what are the margins we're making on products and how can we buy in stuff for less and then multiply that to make money kind of thing. So product management kind of like hit the the sweet spot of in between of those like tech, UX, customer marketing and the business side of things. So I try, yeah, I blagged my way into product management role at a, a startup in, in London and yeah, I did that for four years, I think. So for my like good, good, really good bits, met some great people and also realized that I'm not maybe meant to be a project manager or a manager of stuff. I'm more like, I like being down with the weeds and actually building stuff. Sometimes product management doesn't involve a lot of the doing. You're, you're kind of moving chess pieces around. And I got a bit disillusioned with that. And it was only when Webflow came along, I was like, oh man, I can... I can visualize stuff and get back into that world of building stuff without being a front, like a hardcore front end developer or a hardcore designer. I can do a bit of both, you know? So that's, yeah, that's a, well, it's a long story, but it's a short story. Yeah. (laughs) It's a great intro to you because I feel like from your Twitter bio, there are so many questions and I'm just like, okay, we need to answer this stuff at the top of this interview because otherwise we're not going to really understand kind of how you've got to where you are today. So that's really, really handy. And then obviously from there, you know, you were web flowing, got good at web flow and then were like, right, I'm going to join AC20. Was that kind of the transition? Yeah, no. So I got, I got into web flow almost accidentally so i was on a website called makerpad it's um it's run by this chap called ben he's actually sold it to zapier in the last year but ben basically used to do demo videos of how to use no code tools to build real products essentially so he'd go and you know how can you build airbnb but with no code tools and i remember doing a i think i joined it and it cost me about 150 pounds i think at the time for a lifetime membership and I was just hanging around those forums, trying to get into this community of building stuff without being a proper techie nerd. And I met this guy called Jack. He's called no, he's no Code Jack on Twitter. And he had a question that involved Webflow. And I thought, do you know what? Because I did a bit of front end stuff with the coffee. So I did a bit of like learnt CSS and tiny bit of JavaScript, but mainly CSS. And I, I thought, oh, I can help this guy. So I just thought, right, I'll dive into Webflow. And I helped Jack out. And then got chatting to Jack and then a couple of weeks later Jack said hey do you do you do any like webflow work I said yeah no I'll give I'll give it a go and he he kind of set me up with a job essentially it wasn't a full on website it was prototyping a five aside football league in the Netherlands part of the team was going to build it in in react so a proper proper back end a proper dynamic front end but the client didn't want to invest all the money into building without knowing what he was building so I started building out a prototype in Figma and then ended up quickly defaulting into Webflow and we built out a prototype in Webflow. And that kind of got me into thinking about the power of Webflow and knowing the power of Webflow. And I was, again, around Makerpad. Ben, who, who founded Makerpad, then referred me to the founder of Deal, who Deal do a lot of kind of like cross-border payroll. And they're, they're massive, massive in the US. And um, yeah, got on a call and I did their their first iteration of their website. I took their Figma design and, and turned it into a Webflow site. And that kind of set me on the on the path. A few early, really good connections and then freelancing, I guess, for a year and a half on, on various projects. And yeah, I, I don't know. I, get, I came across 
Matt, who's the um, founder of 8020, also Max Joles, who's my colleague at 8020. And somehow I got onto their radar as being someone who knew how to use Webflow. <laughs> yeah, they invited me to join the team. It, it wasn't even like a path of going, oh, I want to join an agency or I need to join an agency because I didn't talk to other Webflow people. I didn't realize the community was such a strong community like obviously it wasn't even as strong then as it is now but it was still quite strong but I, mm. I was in my room just playing around and I wasn't really out there but um yeah I didn't realize that actually joining like joining an agency is a good great way to learn off other people and kind of upskill very very quickly because you're you've got other people and clients and stuff coming at you versus maybe the smaller jobs I was doing when I was freelancing so yeah that's how I ended up at eighty twenty. it was kind of organic it wasn't wasn't part of, part of a master plan or anything, yeah. Okay, let's get into your failures. This is the juiciest part of the episode, so I really enjoy doing this. Tell me about failure one. Failing to appreciate that done is almost always better than perfect. So I guess I think this, you know, this is um, it, it floats around everywhere, doesn't it? Product management is a it happens a lot. Is like right, let's go for the MVP. Let's build a build a scooter. You know, there's a famous diagram that says, you know, you shouldn't build, start building the car. You should build a scooter first. And then then once you've got the scooter and it moves, you can get from A to B, you build a slightly faster scooter. Well, that slightly faster scooter is a, is a motorbike. And then, oh, it's raining, so you want to stay dry. So you, instead of having a motorbike, you put a, two more wheels on it and put a roof on it and it becomes a car. But all of the time, you're able to go from A to B. And you're moving and you're learning what works, what doesn't, you know, how engine works, how brakes work, all that sort of stuff. So that's a big sort of thing in, in product management. And I think that applies massively to Webflow projects. On, on, the, on the front of it, you know, like Webflow is so good at getting stuff live super quickly. But I think the old, say the old way, lots and lots of sites are still built like this, is a more of a waterfall type approach to building sites where, you spend six months building something and then boom, it goes live and then we'll see what happens. And I think that creeps into the way that I've tended to work quite a lot rather than thinking, right, we can get something live. We can see how it works and we can iterate on it. You, you hunker down and spend three months building something and then go live. I can be on calls with clients debating. I had a client last year, an accountancy client, and we debated so much about the structure of, of their CMS library, you know? And we probably spent two or three weeks debating this, trying things out, whatever. At the same time, no one else was seeing any of this content or new fresh brand that we designed because we were fiddling around trying to make it perfect. And what we should have done is put the initial idea out there, which was really good, the content was out there, and then we should have spent the next week tweaking it and then the next week tweaking it. And just, you know... A lot of the times what what you'll do, you'll you'll come up with an idea, you put it live and you realize you don't actually need to tweak it anymore because it, it does the job. So, you know, again, in, in product management, a lot of teams will spend a lot of time ideating on their own, in their own offices, with their own minds, with their own experiences and realize that when they put it out in the world, it doesn't act or deliver the experience you want, that the users want, and you have to change it all again. So I always think that, the word perfect is, is really hard to find because like, what is perfect? But I'd always encourage Webflowers to encourage their clients to go um, something that works and something that delivers on the objective of the project. And then like a good example is 
stick the homepage up and then do the animations. Content's up there. It's brilliant for SEO. Like Google will start indexing it quicker. Although there's lots of technical benefits of doing this, but don't worry about the animation until you put it live. And then two days later, you can work on the animations. And then four days later, you can make those animations better or you can add another section to the page or, or whatever you might want to be. But the, I think the thing with Webflow is you can, you can go up, you can put stuff up, you can take stuff down, you can tinker with it so quickly that you should do, I think. I've been needing to hear this because I'm redesigning the Webflow website and the amount of time I've spent in Figma making page after page of like, oh, I could do this layout, I could do this layout. And actually, like you say, do the thing, like just change it it's not going to be perfect so don't pretend it can be in figma um and and get something you know redesigned and rebuilt and and go from there when is it a problem to launch something too quickly though because you've you've talked a lot there about the benefit of having something out there in the world but you can undercook stuff when should new web flowers who are saying to their clients look we'll sort it out once we're in dev when is that a problem i guess what i cut it 80 90 of web flow projects are going to be marketing pages okay you've got things like whizzed and you've got integrations coming online now which will maybe allow us to do a bit more in terms of the web apps where there's a lot more functionality involved and back end and you're dealing with a lot more data and that becomes a little bit more critical that you get things correct. But in terms of if you're doing a, a, bre- a brand new, fresh brand relaunch, for example, you might want to make sure that you have some red lines at least. That unless you've ticked those off, you don't launch. So, you know, maybe the lo- maybe it's the logo, maybe it's the color scheme, maybe it's, um, I don't brand know. Identity. Yeah. yeah, just the brand identity is, is consistent. So you still you still want to embody the values of your client or the site that you're doing. You know, you still, you don't want to be, you're only rough, but you don't have to be perfect. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm probably clouding it a little bit too much with that, like that product management approach. But I think, you know, sometimes I have, I've been very guilty of, getting clients into a debate about something which really at the grand scheme of things if it is like it is it's going to work and it's going to improve things for the client and i.e they're going to have a better website performs better it's better ux but it's not necessarily what the end vision is going to be and i've you know maybe been guilty of almost getting them into a cycle of thinking it's not ready it's not ready it's not ready and rather than going yeah yeah this this is good like let's get it live let's get it live and and then we can move on to step two which will be get making what's live better rather than hiding in in the staging environment until it's until it's ready to go you know what advice would you give to a web flower that has a client that is like hmm maybe we could try out this copy or this animation whatever it is second guessing your every decision making you know how how would you manage that type of situation it's, it's tough it is tough i've had both clients who want to go actually want to go really quick and you know we'll deal with it later um and i've got hung up on deal with it later needs to be sorted now and i've had other clients as you described where they want it they're changing their mind every two days you know a loom comes through every two days oh can we try oh i've seen a site that does this or so and so does it like i think without um I, i listened to the your last episode with ben and some good advice from him was all get on the same page with the client before you do any real digging if you can get all of those elements in place, just showing examples and almost nailing down on what it should be or what it shouldn't be allows you to set some standards that you can all agree to. 
and then just enforcing them, you know, saying, oh, yeah, it's great that Stripe have just released their new site and they've got some color gradients in the background. Mm. Guys, look, this is the objective of the site. We've reached those objectives. Let's launch it and then let's investigate Stripe's new gradient, gradient or whatever, yeah. next week, you know. And, and and always, you know, maybe reference, not, not that you want to do yourself out of hours worked on a project, but sometimes go, well, that will cost you another two days of work. That will cost, that will mean I'm going to add that to the project cost. And just, you need to manage it and, you know, you need to be sort of transparent with the, with the client, you know. I think some freelancers will just go, yeah, I'll do that and let the bill kind of stack up because it's obviously to our advantage. You know, the more we do, the more we get paid sort of thing in, in certain aspects. So, you know, at the end of the day, you want to deliver a happy um, a happy result for the client. And that in, like means you've delivered good value and it's not cost them more than you said or thought it was going to cost in the first place. So that's about Yeah, it. so aligning client perspectives, understanding what the visuals are the expectations of that mean that you can align decision making and anchor any decision to that you know yes we could have a flying bird going through the screen and a preloader but if the key thing that we're trying to do is get as many people on the site as quickly as possible then that's going to affect load speed and da 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 so you can um you know push back it's amazing how quick decision making is from the client's perspective when you do say just so you know, that's going to cost an extra day's rate or whatever. They're like, oh, actually, yeah, you're right. Uh, let's, and it's kind of interesting how you can, you know, dictate decision making a little bit by just kind of setting some boundaries as well. Yeah, I think like oddly, it's something that I've experienced recently is um, more actually in the agency world is, you know, you have different types of clients. But conversely, on the other side, you, you, you're doing you're providing service to the client, which means you're a little bit of a gateway and a bouncing board for them to bounce ideas off or you, you know, some ideas you'll go, okay, not sure that's a great idea because of X, Y, and Z. And some ideas you'll let through and say, oh, let's, let's do that. And I think it's important that you develop those skills in saying, you know, some clients want to move so quickly that it might sound like a good idea, but they might not have thought of all the possible repercussions of implementing that. And that's not just on cost or look and feel, but, just generally on on UX, you know, it's it's just I think a, the job of the web flow builder, like try and you know rein in those clients who want to do everything yesterday, and and come up with all these random new ideas. Like some of them might be good, but don't don't like squash their enthusiasm because that enthusiasm is really good. But you need to be a little bit of a a triager, I guess, of make sure the right things go through. You know. Tell me about failure two, failing to appoint admin experts. Yeah, so this is my um, a reference to my Achilles heel that I've I've had since I started the coffee company. Essentially, I do love spreadsheets. I love planning stuff out. I like financial planning, or let's let's not call it planning. Let's call it dreaming, because that's probably a better way of saying it. But I'm not very good at employing experts in those fields to do essentially what i've for me it's admin work like my accounts so doing my accounts i'm you know when you're a freelancer you or even now i'm working for 80 20 i have i have to do my accounts i have to put in my self-assessment or when i was a business i had to put in my accounts every year do my vat returns 
do my tax returns, all those kind of things. And I wasn't very good at it. So I, you know, I ended up getting fines from, you know, the, the government department saying you're late and then you're still late and you're still, still late. I just, I wasn't very good at dealing with all that stuff. Um, and it wasn't until I got someone on board, probably halfway through the coffee company actually, and realized that I just need to employ this person. They love doing this. They're very good at doing it. They're like a T-shape. They like they know a bit about my business, but they know a lot about accountancy and tax and tax returns. Just employ those people. You know, I've got one now in Ireland and, you know, it's not cheap, but it's probably the cost for a year of, you know, me getting a new monitor and a desk for my, and I'm like, oh, I need to sort out my back and get a great double widescreen curved monitor but I could spend also that on making sure that my accounts are on time, that actually they they might save me a bit of tax here or there, or they might make it easier for clients to pay me, or all those kind of things that are actually critical for you to expand. Because one, it it means that you don't get caught like I did, not submitting stuff on time and getting random fines and stuff. But also your head is not no longer filled with any anxiety about when to do these things. You know, they're... You pay them and then randomly in the middle of the month, they go, hey, right, we're sorting out your payroll. How much do you want to get paid this month? Oh, bear in mind, you've got your tax bill to come up end of this year. So shall we set aside some money? Da, 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 da. And you're like, yeah, yeah, why not? Um, and boom, they're done, you know, and and you can concentrate on growing your business or working on those three projects that you've taken on and you're like, you're rammed, you know? So I think, yeah, I think just... It's we like to think that we can do everything and we think solopreneurs is a new word has come up, but you've got to be responsible for the the boring admin stuff. And I found that employing experts in those fields is often the way to do it. And I failed massively at doing that. I don't I've not learned like I'm not very good. Like the coffee company, I didn't do it early enough. Then when I was freelancing in the UK a little bit, I didn't do it early enough. And now I've come to Ireland and I'm a year into working for it. I said work for an agency, but I've still got to do my, my local taxes. I still haven't done it early enough. It's like, like Matty, wake up and just don't try and do it yourself. Well, you can, but I tried and failed. But employ people who do all the admin stuff really well. You know, I think uh, you think you're going to be creative the whole time. And actually, to be really good at freelancing or agency running, there's a lot of boring, unsexy stuff that you need to be good at, I think. And uh... I think that's my thing is you can try and be good at it, but you're not going to be good at it. And you need to recognize, and that's my failure, is not recognizing that other people are much better at and just employ them to do it. You might think, okay, oh, I'm going to have to work two extra clients this year to afford my accountant. But it, free, it frees my mind up. It's almost, you know, it's almost like paying a, I don't know, a, a speeding fine, you know, like, it comes through and you go, oh, and you bitch about it. And then the next one comes through and you've missed that early payment discount. Then you get a chaser. It's like, why don't I just pay it? I'm, I'm not going to get away with it. I'm like, just pay pay the fine to start. Like, employ the accountant. They're going to do their job. And I guess, I guess when you're getting into, like, maybe when you're growing your business, you might think of, like, having virtual assistants that can start helping you with meetings and all that kind of stuff. And you might think, oh, yeah, don't worry. I don't need to. That's a luxury. But I know you know, people who do that on a regular basis and it massively helps their business. So just mm. uh, employ people to do the stuff that you find boring because um, they, they employ us to do stuff that they're not good at. So we should also take that on board and they can't do everything. 
Tell me about failure number three then. Failing to make time to speak with other professionals in the Webflow world. Yeah, I think this is um, a realization. Well, okay, we've we've just been through quite a, a weird period of the world, I suppose. Our sphere of connectivity has been shrunk in the real world, but also expanded in the remote world. And I think this the async world has often, you know, has has blown up as well. And I found that I've, I got caught up in this async world of, you know, you could sit there watching YouTube videos of how to do the X, Y, and Z all day long, or you could hang out in forums where, yes, you, you're speaking to people through a thread, but you're not really engaging them in the way that you would maybe if you do it like we are now, you know? So I, I think for the first few years as a webflower, but even just as a front, when I was doing like a, a few ad hoc projects during the coffee stuff, I've got better as I've got older, but I, you know, I wouldn't want to go and knock on people's doors and ask some questions and get involved. I just hide behind the internet as it were. And it's only recently this year, really, I've started to, when I've seen someone on Twitter, you know, Twitter is a, is a great place is I just DM them and go, Hey, do you fancy having a chat? And it's changed my perspective on everything. I've just, I've got to meet so many cool people just by doing that, just by, and it's not necessarily help me with this or help me with that. It's just just speak to real people in real time rather than um, kind of hanging out in yeah comment threads or you know community forums or um, you know thinking that you're getting a lot of engagement with just watching YouTube things or, or listening to podcasts. You know, a good example. I've I listened to there's a podcast by a guy called James McKinman who who interviews indie hackers. Well, like I've known James for a year and a half because I've listened, to, I, I, I religiously listened to his podcast, but I reached out to him the other day and said, Hey, we should have a catch up. And we had a catch up. It's so much better. It's just, you get so much more out of it, I think. And you learn so much more. So yeah, I think not doing that earlier, I think is a massive failure because I'm realize I'm getting so much value out of it now. Um, and even, you know, I met my first web flowers in real life two weeks ago. And we were going to hook up for a half an hour coffee and we ended up spending four hours in a coffee shop in Dublin, just doing chin wagging about all sorts of random stuff, not just Webflow, but design, clients, good clients, bad clients, the weather in Ireland and, you know, all random stuff. Like that. So. <laughs> it's amazing when you actually meet in real life outside of Twitter and yeah. calls and stuff. I definitely found that with a meetup recently in London. I think the advice there that I'll take from you and kind of, say back to anyone that's listening is that reaching out to people that are in the workflow community and just saying hey do you want to have a virtual coffee or meet up if they're local or whatever is so powerful not just from the point of view of having someone to refer work to and possibly receive work from but also just like from a mental health perspective the reality of just being on a screen for hours every day it is quite lonely and having that real interaction with people is so powerful. So if you aren't reaching out to people and DMing people and just saying, Hey, like once a week, even if you're an introvert, I would just really recommend just DMing someone and just saying, Hey, can I just ask you how you got to where you are? Or can I just ask you a little bit about your background? Really interested by your Twitter bio or whatever. It's completely changed my life as well in the last few months with, with Webflow. So do it. Well, yeah, and you you had that meetup the other day in London where a lot of I'd imagine a lot of the 
the people who came are doing this for a first time and you know they might they, they'll have lots of friends and family elsewhere but in terms of that webflow meeting real webflow people webflow people we're not we're no different from other people i guess but the conference over in in san fran like I, i'm getting a lot of fomo because i'd love to walk in there and going like some of the guys in the us that i probably never meet you know i'll never meet them because we're miles away to, to be able to go and everyone's there at the same time and just get that facetime and share a coffee or a drink or a pizza or something it's just it, it's becoming more fomo all of the time the more i do this you know so i i think the the halfway house was just you know i can't try like my team is a, good, a great example it's like we work all over the world so um one of our designers afrian is in indonesia i'm in dublin um we've got some of the team max is in on the west coast east coast canada ecuador mexico and we're having a meetup in December but I can't make it because it's miles away <laughs> and it's just the FOMO is real so I'm just trying to get as much face time with real people as I can and it's it's mass yeah as you said it's massive it's just it's just a, it's different it's so different to watching a loom video or um, listening to a podcast or typing on slack you know it's just yeah so I wish I did it earlier and I'm gonna be suit so anyone anyone wants a chat it, I, honestly just dm me any okay maybe not any time of day but <laughs> hours of like 8 a.m and kind of 4 p.m uk time just dm me i just yeah even if we only chat for five minutes and realize we don't like each other but that's actually a real point to to make as well like i think you know sometimes people are like oh like what if they don't want to talk to me or you know whatever and actually people are way way more open than you might think like i've dm'd people that probably i'd imagine are very very busy people but actually you know they they are just real people who who will be up for just having a chat just like you know if you said hi to someone walking down the street they'd probably say hi back like people are not evil generally like we we do often look at these things and go oh they're amazing at what they do you know like there's a, a chap who works at 820 anthony okay and before I joined, I was like, man, this guy is good. Like some of the sites he was checking, I was like, gee, like I'm I'm a bit nervous meeting Anthony, you know? And then the first time we got on a call, it's just this he's such a cool dude. And he's so mellow and chilled and unassuming and not just like all the stuff that I thought would come with this big web flow expert. I was just like, Anthony, you're you're pretty cool. And he's just, you know, and it's just those things that make so like there's one guy I catch up every month now. Every month we just jump on a call and we just talk about random non-webflow stuff uh, mixed in with, and it just makes my day so much better. So definitely do that. Claudia has just said, uh, Alessia is organizing a webflow conference watch party in London. So if you guys are in the UK and thinking about all meeting up to watch that on the 9th of November and the 10th of November, I believe, get in touch with Alessia. We're trying to do one in Dublin as well. We've got three three of us at the moment so maybe four so if there's any more we'll definitely hire a space out so oh there's a threat if anyone's in ireland who's watching now get on that send matt a message okay let's get into the community questions we've got a few in the chat here one from dale jansen Jansen, I don't want to pronounce your name wrong. I definitely, one of those is definitely wrong. Maybe two. Do you have an exclusive work contract with 8020 or do you accept assignments outside of the agency? 
Uh, good question. So are all essentially contractors, because we all work across the, the, the world, we're all contractors within the agency. And our main commitment essentially is to make sure that we look after the 80 to 20 clients. So, yeah, I'd say if, if someone asks, have you got a day job? That's my day job. What we tend to do is we do a we have a four day week. So Monday to Thursday is your commitment to to agency work. And then Friday is very flexible. So, you know, often if we've got a big project on that Friday would be taken up because we need to dedicate some time to our clients. But if it's a little bit quieter or if for what you want to work at the weekend or evenings on someone else, whether that's, you know, learning, doing other client work, then then you're free to do it. So um it's definitely not a case of you can't do anything so yeah like i I can't sort of emphasize how much 80 20 is such a cool it's not really an agency it's a collection of people who are just really cool and work on on clients you know we have pms and we have devs and we have designers and you end up working with different people on different projects we are a bunch of contractors but we're all glued together by this 80 20 culture and i think you know, Matt and Seb, and I guess everyone on the team has done such a good job. But but you just you just you feel like you're part of a a, com- a company, a big company. Like the eighty twenty name is obviously we work hard, but eighty twenty name is very well thought of in the in the Webflow world. We it's a full time job, but yeah, we can do contract work. This one's from Ben Slinsky. So you guys both getting shout outs this episode. What is the one single important feature that Webflow doesn't have? and should have in your opinion doesn't have and should have um good question oh i don't know like the so when i did a three-month coding course a coding camp i guess back in the day and i really was a big fan of version control you know um where you could create branches work on a branch test it if it didn't work throw it away if it did work you can merge it into the main project and and off you go so i think like although a lot of projects i'd say most of the projects are worked on by one dev at a time i think as webflow develops and i know they'll probably announce loads at the conference in terms of permissions and you know devs the senior dev or the junior dev or whatever they want to call it in terms of working in the designer i think if we had some sort of version control it would be it would be brilliant because you could you can start playing around with those features that the client wants, you know, and go, oh, you can try it out. You can put it on the staging site. You can see how it works. You can get them to test it on their phone, knowing full well that it won't be ever get onto that production site unless you wanted to. So, yeah, I, I definitely say that's that would be massive for web flowers in the future, not just as teams, but individuals, I think. Is being just a Webflow developer already a niche or is it important to niche down further in your opinion? Is it in it? Well, I guess from a niche point of view, um, when I was freelancing, I would do design and dev. Like my, my design wouldn't be my um, strongest point, but um, I would do design and dev. Now, I'm this last year with AD20, I'm a dev only. So we have talented designers in the agency or from the client's agent, you know, the client's side that would do all the dev. And I would, so I niche down on turning Figma essentially into dev. I wouldn't say like, Squirrel yourself away as I'm just a Webflow dev. I think do that as in that's you, but see if you can get your network or a more official partner in the design side. And then you've got like, you can cover all bases, I think. 
you're not going to be jack of all trades, but a client can come to you and go, yeah, we want to do this. And you go, oh, yeah, okay, we can do that and we can do that. And that's what Webflow allows you to do, I suppose. What is the most underrated Webflow skill, in your opinion? I guess like the, the soft skills, I suppose, is, is um, you know, say going back to the like, we, we're all very, um, like you see Twitter, like, oh, I need a Webflow dev. And people start whacking up their portfolios, and which is great. You know, portfolios are great. But that almost, I think, unrepresents the amount of work that goes into launching a successful site is not just how it looks. I think there's so much behind how it looks. Or Although our currency is often portfolio or your showcase page or whatever, the, that means that you get lots of people can do that, but the soft skills under the under the hood, that you know the client management, helping guide a client, knowing that raising the things of SEO and accessibility, and all being confident enough to to talk about all those elements, I think is massively important. So yeah, but soft skills I think is probably the most underrated bit that separates good Webflow designers from great Webflow freelancers. I think. There's the quote, the quote of the episode right there. What is the one piece of advice you would give a freelancer starting out? Uh, get get an accountant, I think. <laughs> okay, yeah. short and sharp. Get the get the boring stuff off your plate and it will just... One, one, it will encourage you to drive forward because you know that, I don't know, you've established some... You put foundations in the ground a little bit that you maybe can't row back from. But also it just clears the deck and it just means you can focus on, you know, getting new clients, practicing, doing doing the stuff that will make a difference, you know. That makes sense. And what is the ideal client for you? So I I um I guess from my product management background, like we the best initiatives we used to work on had a really clear set of objectives at the start so what are we trying to achieve so what basically what does success look like what does failure look like and what assets do we have at our disposal so if you've got a client that comes and their first opening thing is i want it to look like this or i've seen so and so do this or whatever it's it's great but it it doesn't give you anything to hang stuff on when the hard questions start decisions start coming up so i think if a client comes to you with a clear set of objectives, it's, it's amazing because, you know, it, it's not prescriptive. It allows you to ideate. It allows you to come up with some thoughts and show off your experience. Um, but it also gives you some some rails to, to go on. You know, you know which direction you have to go. You know, everyone's clear. This is how we're going to me- measure success. Yeah, it's just everything falls falls off that really easily. I think if someone comes to you with, I don't know what to do or like, you know, it, it's really hard to, you know, it's not not necessarily our job to set the objectives. Like, you know, we can be a sounding board, and as the more you do it, the more you can be a sounding board. You know, say I've I've had um, a client in the sort of SaaS field. It was in the courses actually. They do court like online education courses, and I haven't done any business stuff related to that. But I've done work with a lot of SaaS companies. And so me being able to bring my experience in there means I could question some of their objectives. Mm. Um, but at least they had objectives. They had things that I could go in and, and critique and help them understand. And, and we formulated a, a sort of a, a fresh set of objectives that then I could work from. But if you have a client with a blank piece of paper, 
we need a website, you know, is, is the common one. It's like, oh, we just need a website. It's like, well, you need to be able to dig dig down below it. But if a client comes to you with that, it's like, dream. I can. I don't need to worry about this. There's no ambiguity. They know what they want. And it's my job to get excited about delivering to that objective, essentially, yeah. Are you ready for the final question? This is the hardest question you will have been asked this episode. Yeah, go for it. You ready? Okay. What is your next failure going to be? Yeah, because I listened to loads of episodes, I thought about this when I was walking the dog, but I've forgotten what I was going to say. At the, at the crucial moment. I know. I, th- I think may- maybe like on the subject of just being a, a freelancer, um, it's just, yeah, failing to choose the right direction that I take in the next three, four, five years in terms of how I work and what kind of work I do. So I feel real part of an agency right now. And they're re- like, I'm around a lot of really good people every day. But there's always that green field that says, yeah, but if you went out alone, you could, you know, you could make all this money yourself. And I think, yeah, I'll probably fail making the, the wrong decision on that front. Thanks for listening to episode 15 of Webflail with Matt Evans. My favorite part of this episode was when Matt talked about the importance of community. Matt talks about the fact that being a Webflower means that you are part of a community. You are not alone. It might feel lonely sometimes since you're working on a screen, hours on end, possibly not talking to anyone. But actually, there are loads of other people in the same boat. One thing I started doing recently is reaching out to a Webflower every week via Twitter and asking them if I could talk to them about how they got to where they are. Not only is this a fascinating way to learn from others who are more experienced than you, but also gets you out the freelancing mental health fudge and gives you energy and inspo. So why not try it? If you want inspiration, business advice, and Webflow jobs direct to your inbox, sign up for the Webflow Roundup at webflow.com. This is a weekly newsletter designed for you to take your Webflow freelancing to the next level. I hope it helps. This week, I'll be interviewing Marcelo Russo, CEO and creative technologist of Friends Agency. Join us at 4pm BST on YouTube this coming Thursday to talk about some epic failures from Marcelo's career. Until next week, Webflailers. Webflailers.